When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The guidance is not so cautious anymore, at least for one clog maker. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. I'm Ricky Mulvey, joined today by Bill Barker. Bill, Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Hope it's going well. Tough weekend for Boeing. A Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes door plug fell off during an Alaska Airlines flight on Friday. Thankfully, nobody died, but the FAA has grounded the MAX 9 and told carriers to inspect the planes. According to the Washington Post, United Airlines has said that preliminary inspections of the grounded planes turned up loose bolts and other issues with the part of the aircraft that failed. Bill, this is not one of those uh, companies, Boeing specifically, that you like to see at the top of Bloomberg. No, it was a tough weekend, but it could have been a lot tougher uh, yeah. uh, since uh, the tragedy was averted. And I think that it has translated, uh, as you point out, into inspections of other models, uh, and some of which are showing loose bolts. So it's sort of the best you could possibly hope for to have. A problem identified without loss of life, additional problems that might have occurred uh, averted by uh, the temporary uh, you know, grounding of all these planes. And uh, I think that the process of determining exactly who is to blame, uh, Boeing or Spirit or possibly somebody else, that's all going to translate into uh, you know a few planes being on the ground, but that's uh, that's not too big a deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, in short, it's, it's basically a miracle that nobody died. I mean, this happened at 16,000 feet, not 30,000 feet. You had everybody, for the most part, in the, in the, the zone where it was really dangerous, wearing a seatbelt. And then you even have stories where there's a, what is it, an iPhone fell out of the plane from 16,000 feet, but allegedly works right now. But to your point about the the blame game, you have essentially you have Boeing that made, that put the plane together. You have Spirit Aerosystems, which made the the fuselage, the main body of the plane, and you also have Alaska Airlines, which was the carrier. Let's focus on Boeing for a sec. The stock fell eleven percent on Monday, and this plane doesn't really make up a lot of Boeing's backlog order. It's about two percent. So, what do you think the market is saying about this story with with regards to Boeing? Well, I think the Max. So this was the Max Nine. This is the Max Nine. The Max Eight had its problems uh, being grounded for the better part of a year and a half or so. This is sort of the the future of uh, you know Boeing's uh, production, and there have been a lot of uh, I don't know what you know now to throw. I was about to say hiccups. That seems a little bit tame for things that in the Max Eights. Uh, you know, history have, have resulted in much bigger tragedies. So, I think that there is look. There are always going to be 
mechanical failures and, and production mistakes that uh, in this line uh, of business translate into much, much bigger problems than just about any other uh, manufacturing problems uh, could. So, uh, it's a reminder more than anything that Boeing will continually face uh, issues like this, and hopefully they're no bigger than this, but uh, it, it puts a real cap on you know, production, production schedules, uh, and the likelihood of getting the next order rather than uh, Airbus getting it. Yeah, for better or worse, there's there's basically two plane manufacturers that you that one can order planes from. And uh, jumping jumping to give a take was equity researchers at Williams Blair. They said, "quote While the Alaska Airlines door plug accident was terrifying." We do not believe that it will have a major financial impact unless another incident occurs after the aircraft returns to service. End quote. What say you about that take? Well, I certainly would agree that if uh, something occurs after this is back in service, that is going to be a major problem for uh, Boeing and, and others, including the FAA and possibly Spirit, uh, depending exactly on on what you know this. Theoretical next problem might be. Uh, if there isn't, then it's uh, hey, a little, some planes on the ground for days, weeks, months, perhaps. Uh, there are plenty of other planes, and it'll be an interruption in service, and there'll be a, some charges for for everything, but nothing major. Nothing major as long as there's no loss of life, but. You know th that could occur. So the the inspection of these things, uh, these planes, is going to be given the fact that this is not a one plane issue. Uh, I think uh, significant before they're back in the air. Next earnings call for Boeing is January thirty first. Analysts are going to be asking some questions. Let's say you were on the call, or you got to slip a note to one of those analysts. What do you think they should be asking the executive team right now? Well, I, I guess a, a broader picture of what issues caused this was this, you know, a function of everybody a couple of years ago uh, being at home, not coming into the manufacturing facilities or the offices, uh, and then rushing back, trying to catch up. Was this uh, a function delayed uh, from the the you know interruption in work, and then the difficulty in getting workers back? You know, if so, what does that translate to for other parts of the production process. Uh, you know, you want to know what safety issues might be related to whatever the cause of this was, and how far the company is willing to go to prevent those from, you know, uh, manifesting themselves. Last year was the year of cautious guidance for a lot of companies, and now you're starting to see at least one consumer goods company get a little bit more optimistic. Crocs, which bills itself as the world leader in casual footwear for all, love that. Crocs came out basically ahead of earnings and said that it expects its 2023 revenues to grow over 11%. Here's where the story gets interesting. That this was basically in line with their guidance of 10 to 11%, but the Crocs investors bought up a lot more stock and now it's up in the double digits on that announcement. What are the investors so happy about here? I think it's it's a sigh of relief, uh, perhaps that uh, 
you know, there, there wasn't lowered guidance. The guidance for next year at 4% is uh, top line growth is not all that uh, optimistic, not all that enthusiastic, at least, given that they've just uh, put in the bank an 11% growth year. I guess also some indications that the the Hey Dude acquisition is not torpedoing the company as much as uh, was immediately feared when it was first announced, and uh, I think continues to be a little bit, not even a little bit, of a significant weight uh, on the, the growth that uh, Crocs can enjoy at the moment. Yeah, Crocs is a little bit cooler on this year, expecting sales growth of about 4%. Stock's been a, a pretty solid market beater throughout the past few years. Does does it need a lot of revenue growth to continue to perform well, or is it in that sort of mature cash cow status? Would you say? Well, all right. So the Hey Dude acquisition was meant to diversify away from from the you know the concentration on this very iconic but fad uh, the sort of branding and style that they have, which has led to explosive sales followed by the explosive sales going away. That's where they used some of that uh, inflated stock price and some. Cash, which I believe was funded with debt, to buy Hey Dude. The market hated it, uh, thought that uh, Crocs was paying too much. I don't have the breakdown on how much stock was used, but the stock was certainly uh, at a price where Crocs was, uh, I think, intelligent to use the the stock to make some of the acquisition. But at this point, They've got good earnings. Uh, they're they're not trading at a high multiple at all, and uh, you can you can deliver quality returns to investors uh, if your stock is as low uh, as it is on a multiple basis. If you continue to actually show up with earnings, yeah, Crocs is right now. It's reducing its share counts, buying back debt. To your point, it trades at less than. 10 times forward earnings and less than 10 times positive free cash flow. It seems like a really cheap stock. What, what am I missing? I don't know that you're missing anything. The, the market did react positively to this news and drove the stock up very nicely uh, yesterday. Uh, but it gives them some uh, alternatives to grow shareholder returns through methods other than going out and making perhaps uh, acquisitions that, that don't make economic sense. Buying back the stock when it's trading at nine, ten times earnings, if, if they continue to produce consistent earnings, slowly growing top-line sales, uh, investors will be rewarded plenty by that. Maybe sandals or, or more closed-toed shoes in the future for Crocs. Um, before we get out of here, I thought we got a good mailbag question from James in Vermont. There's a lot of layoff announcements lately pertaining to this. And he asks us, why do stocks always pop on layoff announcements? Doesn't this generally mean that the company is in a weaker spot than it was a few years ago? Well, so the pop is going to occur, yes, something has gone wrong in between the hiring of those people and the announcement of the layoffs. Now, the stock may already have declined a lot uh, in between that that hiring and and the announcement. So when the stock pops, it's a recognition uh, that the company is making that it has to make some changes to 
produce shareholder returns. Really, laying off employees so that uh, you can improve your earnings is making a choice in favor of shareholders over employees. You want assumes the employees would like to continue to work there, and it's not their fault that they were hired in too large a number. But at certain points, companies have to or or you know get to the point where they're going to put shareholder rewards above having employees that, as I say, through no fault of their own, uh, wound up uh, with a company that no longer can fully utilize them. So, it's it's a reordering of where the company's priorities are. It's a hard decision to make uh, for management. I don't think you know management, in general, out there is acting coldly, but uh, they're doing things that they have to do, and, and it's a signal to the market. Uh, that shareholder returns are taking more precedence today than they were yesterday. Bill Barker, thank you for your time and your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Before our next segment, first, a quick ad. Growth stocks steal the spotlight in the financial media, but something way more boring is behind a whole lot of wealth creation. Dividends, the regular payments that companies send to shareholders. Dividends can make companies a little more disciplined on capital allocation and provide investors long-term streams of income. Some of the Motley Fool analysts behind Stock Advisor, that's our flagship investing service, put together a list of three dividend stocks to buy this year. We're sending this report to Motley Fool Money listeners for free, just as a thank you for checking out the show with no purchase necessary. Just go to fool.com slash 2024 dividends, and we will email it directly to your inbox. We'll also include a link in the show notes. All right, up next, Robert Brokamp and Allison Southwick have some advice for a healthier new year. Ricky Mulvey with Motley Fool Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360-degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, tested the accelerator just a little bit, and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. two weeks into 2024. So we suspect that many of you still have visions of resolutions dancing in your head. And chances are those resolutions have to do with health or wealth. According to a survey from Statista, among the top New Year's resolutions this year are save more money, exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, and reduce spending on living expenses. But we could cite a survey from last year or the year before or a decade before, and it would have been pretty much the same because every year, the most popular New Year's resolutions are related to being more responsible stewards of our money or our body, which is why once a year, we remind our listeners that they're actually not separate goals because the evidence is clear, wealthier people are healthier and the other way around. 
Indeed, many studies have established this, uh, but we're going to cite just a few. So, in 2007, a systematic review of 29 studies found that, quote, higher levels of wealth were consistently associated with decreased mortality. And the findings also generally, albeit not invariably, supported an association between increased wealth and better self-rated health, better functional status, and fewer chronic diseases. A 2015 study from the Urban Institute concluded that, quote, the greater one's income, the lower one's likelihood of disease and premature death. Middle-class Americans are healthier than those living in or near poverty, but they are less healthy than the upper class. Even wealthy Americans are less healthy than those Americans with higher incomes. And finally, a 2010 study by Dr. Bill Costius at Cleveland State University found that, quote, engaging in frequent exercise is associated with a 5 to 10% wage increase. Okay, so wealthier people are healthier, but which causes which? Are people healthier because they have more money, or does getting in better shape lead to more money? The answer is both. Let's start with discussing the ways that better health can result in higher wealth. And there are many, starting with health problems can get expensive, right? The more money people spend on copays, medical services, medicine, the less money they have to save and invest. And medical debt is one of the biggest causes of personal bankruptcy. Healthier people have fewer health-related job interruptions and have longer careers. One of the most common reasons that workers retire earlier than planned is poor health. And premature retirement results in fewer years to accumulate savings and benefits like Social Security. And then there's job performance. And the the evidence is very clear that a good diet and regular exercise improve cognitive functioning, give you more energy, make you more productive, and result in an overall better mood, and it probably makes you a better employee. And finally, eating better could result in lower food bills. So this one's a little bit more debatable, uh, since we know that in many cases, the cheapest food is not always the healthiest. But I'm basing this one on my own personal fitness journey, so to speak. So I was pretty athletic in high school and college, but then came adulthood and parenthood, and I became literally too big for my britches. I was going to have to replace my wardrobe because I gained so much weight. So a bit more than a decade ago, I lost around 40 pounds by moving more and eating less. And I was shocked at how much money I saved by doing things like not buying out lunch every day when I went to work, but instead just eating like an apple and a handful of nuts and something healthier, not buying random snacks when I was out and about shopping, and cutting down on my portions. All right. So, how does having more money lead to having a healthier body? Well, first off, wealthier people are more likely to have jobs with higher quality health insurance, paid sick leave, employer-provided wellness programs, things like that. They're also more able to pay for health interventions, and they're less likely to put off health services due to financial concerns. And obviously, they could also afford things like gym memberships and personal trainers and trips to Whole Foods. Um, higher paying occupations actually tend to rely more on brain than brawn and thus result in less wear and tear on your body. And finally, money problems cause stress, and stress can reduce productivity at work as well as health problems. The Urban Institute study I mentioned earlier found that the lower someone's income, the more likely they are to report feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and worthlessness. And a 2021 Harvard study found that, quote, negative wealth mobility, meaning a drop in wealth, is associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular events, things like heart attacks, while positive wealth changes are associated with a decreased risk. And I'm just going to throw in a quote from one of the authors of that study who said, wealth and health are so closely integrated that we can no longer consider them apart. So, if you focus on your health, you may also increase your wealth and the other way around. So how should you do it? We all know how to increase our wealth, spend less, invest more. It's a near mathematical certainty that doing so will increase your net worth over the long term. 
We also know what's generally considered a healthy lifestyle, but the effects are not immediately noticeable and the results are less predictable. After all, even the wealthiest among us are afflicted by cancer, heart disease, depression, and the aging process. But there's considerable debate about how much of our health is within our control, with evidence suggesting anywhere between 30% and 70% of maladies being the result of lifestyle decisions. But regardless of the exact percentages, there's no debate that you can increase the chances of future good health and as a result, higher wealth by exercising more, eating better, and avoiding harmful habits and activities. So womp womp. I know. I'm sorry. You have to exercise more and eat better. That's really the takeaway here. So personally, I am resolving to do this by doing more strength training and exercising every day. Am I going to pull it off? I don't know. But I do know that I need more strength training because apparently that's one of the most important things that I can do for my aging bones and my aging body. Bro, what are you doing? Well, you're not going to talk about pickleball? Oh, no, I'm also doing lots of that. I just figured everyone was tired of hearing about it. Uh, yeah. So, well, so the first thing anyone should do, including myself, is to see a doctor, right? Get some lab work done and get some professional advice about how you can improve your health. So, that's something I'm going to do. Uh, but if you're like most Americans, uh, you're probably going to be encouraged to modify your diet if you have any issues. So, I'm no health expert. So, I'll just say that one thing that, that's worked for me is intermittent fasting, which has both physical and mental benefits, at least for me. So, a book I found helpful is The Intermittent Fasting Revolution by Dr. Mark Matson. Um, as for exercise, here's some thoughts uh, based on my own research and experience. So, if you haven't exercised in a while, just start by walking every day, something I try to do. And if you think that won't do much for you, just do an online search for studies on the benefits of a daily walk. You'll be surprised how much it does for your health and well-being. Tie your exercise to something you enjoy doing. For me, I have a rule that I can't listen to my favorite podcasts unless I'm exercising. Uh, and then another is to try to exercise with others. Pickleball, of course, is one option. Um, I was able to lose that 40 pounds a decade or so ago because at Motley Fool headquarters, there were groups of employees who did push-ups every day together, who did CrossFit together a couple of days a week. Even a group that met every week to do a version of Zumba. And Allison was a part of that. And I just loved doing that. So form a group of friends, sign up for a class, maybe join a walking, running, or cycling group. And then finally, sign up for an event that you have to train for, like you know maybe a 5 or K or 10K walk or run, a group hike or a bike ride. Having an event with a deadline that you have to train for creates a bit uh, more structure and urgency. For me, I've registered for a week-long bike ride across Iowa in July known as RAGBRAI. It's going to be my first time doing it, so we'll see how it goes. All right, before we go, bro, you seem to be a little bit of a, an expert about health. Um, I know you wouldn't say like you have your PhD, but you've tried a lot of things and you try to take care of yourself. So let's see what you know about a few diet fads that have existed through the years. All right. The first one in 2021, Tom Brady, then 43, attributed his great health and success to not eating what type of food was it? Vegetables from the nightshade family, anything rolling under a heat lamp at 7-Eleven, Pasta in any shape other than bow tie or stinky cheeses. So, Tom Brady, former quarterback of the NFC South champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think he gave up nightshades. He did. He gave up plants from the nightshade family. So, that includes like tomatoes, bell peppers, and eggplant. So, he said it made him a lot happy. Uh, yes. 
Next question. Originally appearing in the New York Times bestselling book, Sex and the Single Girl, The Unmarried Woman's Guide to Men by Helen Gurley Brown in 1962, It was resurrected as the so-called Vogue diet when the magazine published it again in the 70s, and it outlined exactly what to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you get for breakfast? Was it a half slice of toast and a cup of room temperature tea, an egg, a cup of black coffee, and a glass of wine, a teaspoon of lemon juice, or nothing? You get nothing for breakfast. Well, so nothing for breakfast is, has been something I've been following. So I would love to say that, but instead I'm going to go with the, what was it? Coffee, wine. And what was the other one? Yeah, you're right. An egg, a cup of black coffee and a glass of white wine. Wow. Uh, oh no, it gets even better. So for lunch, you get two eggs and two glasses of wine and a cup of coffee <laughs> for dinner. You get a five ounce steak and the rest of the bottle of wine and a cup of coffee. So by the end of the day, you will have consumed three eggs, four cups of coffee, a steak, and a whole bottle of wine. If I drank, I'd probably love that because everything else on that diet is perfectly fine for me. Yeah. I still don't think you'd feel good on that diet. All right. Last question. A mono diet is where you eat only one type of food or food group. Pendulette, the magician, made headlines when he lost 100 pounds by eating only what for two weeks? Ice cream, potatoes, apples, or bananas? So I'm going to go counterintuitive and I'm going to say potatoes because normally you have to give up starch, but I'm going to say, no, this worked for him. You are three for three, bro. It was in fact potatoes. He ate five a day at the start of his weight loss journey in order to interrupt his relationship with food. However, the other three, ice cream, apples, and bananas, you can also find as possible mono diets on the internet. There's a great story of a guy whose mom said she was going to do the ice cream mono diet, and she was very surprised when it didn't work. always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Ricky Mulvey. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.